Welcome to Legville. I'm producer Eric Sagan. Support for Legville comes from two places. Sponsors we genuinely love, and people just like you. If you'd like to help us keep the lights on in Legville, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Again, that's patreon.com slash Podcast. Support for the podcast also comes from Elsa's. Elsa's is now welcoming you inside for good drinks, good food, and good conversation in the heart of the Plateau Montréal. Also sponsoring the podcast is Good Mix. Good Mix includes a wide range of prebiotic fiber, which promotes microbial diversity in the gut flora. You can get 15% off your next purchase of Good Mix at Amazon and at goodmixfoods.com by using the code LIKEFILL when you check out online. You can find links to our sponsors at our website, www.likefillpodcast.com. Without further ado, Here's our host, John Faithful Hamer, introducing today's episode. Welcome to the Lakeville Podcast. This is John Faithful Hamer. Today I'm going to be talking with my friend Paul Bodie about the upcoming municipal election, which is happening, uh, well, some people can actually vote today and tomorrow, but the officially the election is happening next weekend. Welcome, Paul. Thanks, John. Good to be here at last. Yeah, this <laughs> has been, you know, as we were talking before we just uh, went live, this has been a, a strange election for me. In the say you pointed that out, I, I hadn't really sort of put that together until you just said that. But uh, usually, usually it's the case that you know I always um, I always have like a particular side that I obviously I, I always vote. I never I always vote in municipal elections, provincial, federal, you know, everything. Um, a school board election, I always vote. But generally speaking. Uh, it's usually the case that I'm not really crazy excited about any one party or any one leader. And so instead, what I'm doing is sort of picking kind of the lesser of a bunch of different, I don't want to say evils, but because that's that overstates the case. But it's more like I'm picking between, uh, you know, a few different options that seem to me you know, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, actually, okay is even overstating. It. Yeah, could um, be worse. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can, I can stomach it. You know, um, yeah. and I'm picking the best option between them, and it's uh, usually or trying to prevent the other guy from coming in, um, or that, or that. Uh, but usually, it's the case that I feel like you know, if if one or two parties got in, or th- I can imagine a number of, number of scenarios where it would be okay. It wouldn't be the end of the world. This is the first election since I started voting at 18, you know, like almost like 30 years ago where I'm really, really, really partisan, like where I really have a side and I really want... You're campaigning yeah, door I, to door. And yeah, stuff. I, I like, really that's want. Crazy. And I've never seen you do that. Like, I've known you for 25 years, mm-hmm. somewhere around that. Like, yeah. And I know you're into politics and stuff. We talk about it all the time. This is the first time I've seen you doing, like, on the ground campaigning. Yeah, I, I have done a little bit of that back in the day for okay. for the NDP and for you know, some other things. But, like, yeah, this, this was. This election feels really, really important to me. And I, mm. it, I think. It's because it seems to me, and we've we've talked about this before, that Projet Montréal is pretty much the only government in Canada, 
as far as I can tell, in many ways, the only government in North America that's actually taking climate change seriously. Mm. That's actually taking, you know, we have all this information about what needs to be done. And mostly we have people like Trudeau just sort of virtue signaling about Uh stuff and Uh not really doing very much of anything. And here we have a government that is actually doing what you would do if you believed this stuff. Yeah, and taking political risks in the process, which is what has to be done. There's There's no easy you know, politically safe solution to climate change. You have to piss some people off. You have to take some political risks. And Projet Montréal has, has shown that they're willing to do that over and over and over. Like, they, they, they have moved the Overton window. Yeah. Oh, and they're, they're, the things that they're doing are, are not just sort of symbolic. I mean, just mm-hmm. to give you some random examples, like, at the end of my street, Pine Avenue... It was originally named Pine Avenue because it was lined with these massive pines. And you see the old kind of paintings and even Mm. some photographs, early photographs. These trees look like they belong on the West Coast. They look like they belong in BC or California or something. Like they were massive, massive. They're a kind of pine that is like mostly not even found in Quebec anymore. And they're repining Pine Avenue. They've, at the end of my street, they have actually... <laughs> Are they actually putting pines? Yeah. Oh, wow. They have ripped, okay. they have ripped up... I knew they were up, putting trees. Yeah, remember. they've ripped up the uh, all of the street and the sidewalk, and yeah, they're yeah, building yeah. a park yeah, out yeah. of Pine Avenue, which uh-huh. is... I mean, this is just was considered the most pie-in-the-sky hippie stuff. Yeah, yeah. This is way beyond, and like, feel-good recycling. one of the, like, ugliest streets in the plateau, you know? Like, you didn't want to walk on pine. Yeah, and, like, and when, when Denis Coderre, <laughs> who's, uh, you know who was the mayor of Montreal and is running uh, to get back in there. When he said, for me, when things kind of got really intense for me was when he said in a radio interview, he said, yeah, you know, if I get elected, one of the first things I'm going to do is send those, uh, those like all that construction home and we're going to pave that over for cars again. And I thought, oh, really? Like, that is, I mean, that's almost like Trumpian re- rhetoric. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like, yeah. this is what we're going to yeah. do. We're going to defund the EPA. You know, we're going to, like, as soon as we get in, we're going to. It just seems like, you know, and there is this, there is this kind of two visions that I see of Montreal uh, that are at stake right now. On one hand, you have Coder that wants to run this city like a Caribbean island, and it's all just like... Well, no offense to Caribbean islands. But no, like, no. Like I, you Banana know. Republic type. Uh. Well, I, I mean specifically, I don't mean necessarily corru- he wants corruption. He extract but. like economic value from the city and give it to developers and big event promoters and all this stuff. Well, there's that There's He, that, put, there's he puts that the level. economy, yeah. he, he puts like a, a, an old school vision of economic growth at the center of his thinking. Yeah, and it's also that that somehow the way to have Montreal be successful is to just bring lots of tourists here. Yeah. And the thing is, is I love tourists coming here for lots of reasons. It's fun to see lots of people enjoying a city that I absolutely love and mm-hmm. and loving it too. I love that. And yeah, it brings money into yeah. our. I love that. I I'll, you know I have no problem with any of that. I love the jazz festival, all those the festivals that we have. But you can't build a first world. 21st century economy on tourism. I mean, no. that that provides seasonal employment for people working in restaurants and bars. Uh-huh. And it's it none of those jobs, you know, actually are going to be something that you can raise a family on and have a house and live a life of dignity, yeah. Yeah. right? So it's it's creating kind of like crappy jobs that don't mm-hmm. really 
matter. And meanwhile, Montreal is actually doing really well in tech and all these other things. We have a very diversified economy. Yeah. You know, it's one of the reasons we weathered the pandemic so well, you know? Yeah. And the way I mean, to the, attract, tourist, the yeah. tourist industry fell apart, yeah, exactly. but we had all kinds of stuff to fall back on. And, but the way to really like push that's those sectors and how, help them grow and to attract like top workers from all over the world is to have a city that is really green, easy to walk around, easy to bike around, yeah. easy and that public is people, transportation. That is people-centered, you know, yeah. centered on like the, the residents, the people who actually live here, what is important for them. And, and you know, Projet Montréal's vision is to focus on, on that, first of all, to put people at the center. And then the good economy follows from that. You know, you don't have to start from the good economy. And, and we see it in the, in the various boroughs that, Projet Montréal has been managing for quite some time. They put people at the center of their vision, uh, and the economy is is great in all these places, the different boroughs that they've they've been running. Uh, if I could go back for a second, John, yeah. about why why it is that that you're like campaigning, why this time, why now, and if I can like psychoanalyze your your motivations a little bit, I think at at the base of this, it's something that we have in common is like a deep abiding love for Montreal. Uh, uh, we, we love what it's been. We love what it is. Um, we love where it's going. We, we are hopeful for where it's going. And Valérie Plante and Projet Montréal has demonstrated that they can make like things happen, that they can bring the future to us. And we like their vision for where they want to go, you know? So, so it's ultimately like, it's a hope thing. It sounds cheesy. It's very like Barack Obama, hope and change, but, but, but but unlike Barack Obama, <laughs> Valérie Plante and Projet Montréal actually have like a record to, to, to show that they can do this. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I, I teach this class on uh, my Montreal class at, at Abbott. And one of the parts of the class is I take the students on uh, walking tours of all different neighborhoods all over the city. And we go, you know, all over the East End. We go to the you know, old Montreal up in the North End. We go in the city center. All We go to, like, nature parks in the area. And what's amazing is that, you know, very often the old way of governing Montreal, which you can see in Coderre, they, you know, it's all in the city center. It's all about, like, doing big flashy things that the tourists see downtown yeah. and festival centers. Monuments. You know, whereas, like, one thing that that many of my students have noticed and I've noticed is that we do walking tours all over, the, like, way out on the East End and all these, like, random uh-huh. Ile Bizarre. And everywhere you go in Montreal, you can very tangibly see what Projet Montréal is doing. Yeah, yeah. You go to the Verdun waterfront, where mm-hmm. I grew up in Verdun. Yeah. It is absolutely gorgeous. That was yeah. all done by Sterling Downey and Projet mm-hmm. Montréal. And, and what they done for Wellington Street oh, down there, like, amazing. Yeah, building up, yeah. like, Notre Dame and St. Henry yeah. and Wellington Street in Verdun. And now building, like, the largest urban park in the world, the, the, the Grand Parc de l'Ouest. Uh, incredible achievement, which is going to, I mean, great for itself for the environment, for the people who live there, but also to put like a break on the urban sprawl on the West Island. It's just fantastic all around. And it's ironic because Coderre is really downtown focused and yet his support is more from the suburbs. That doesn't like, strike me as a, a contradiction at all because I, you know, I teach out in the suburbs. I teach in St. Anne de Bellevue on the western tip of the island of Montreal. And people in the suburbs 
come into the city for fun. They come here to party, to mm. go to restaurants, to go to festivals, to go to see like you know Canadians games, sports games, and stuff like that. And they have at like a certain vision of Montreal. And so Montreal is a place where yeah, you yeah. drive, mm-hmm. you're in a car, and you're going there to have fun. And so they want, and he's he very much is kind of a representative of that vision of Montreal. So mm. there should be lots of parking. It should be easy to park. They shouldn't have traffic. They should be able to get in and out of their fun place and go home. Whereas yeah, yeah. I feel like Pushy Montreal is, is much more focused on Montreal Living. for Montrealers, yeah, like yeah, yeah. like the people who don't go home to the suburbs at night, the people who live here, uh-huh. who have their kids here, who want to make sure that their kids don't get hit by a car when they're crossing the street. Like just yeah. all over Montreal, like for instance, their traffic calming things. Like uh-huh. I've I've told you before, like on, on Laval Avenue where we live, at the corner of our street, Roy and Laval, we've we've owned that, we've been there for like twenty years now, mm. and. Up until Proje got in, there was an accident on the corner of that street at least once a month. There were, <laughs> there were so many, sometimes there were multiple in a month. There yeah, was yeah. so many accidents that the reflector stuff from a car's, like, you know, the, the lights, the reflectors and stuff yeah, yeah. like that. There were, like, piles in the corners, <laughs> the four corners of the, of the, the intersection. Like was the, the depth at the corner, like, collecting hubcaps and stuff? Uh, there was there were hubcaps, but mainly you would just see lots of like piles of from all the fender benders that happened. Mm. Uh, there were uh, kids got hit walking home from school. Bike, yeah. Cyclists got hit. Yeah, it was and a terrible. People just didn't used to think about this. In, it was like it was been planning in Montreal. It was completely just, just because all the it was way. a blind corner. It was very hard. So what they did is they changed the direction of the traffic. Mm. They put in speed bumps yeah. and just these small changes. <clears throat> There have been no accidents there uh-huh. anymore, yeah. and they've extended the the corners to go farther into the street, yeah. so that uh, pedestrians and drivers can have a chance yeah, to yeah. see each the other. Bump outs, yeah. You know, before, yeah. and you know, there's just all these things that they've done that have made, you know, have made the city so much more comfortable to yeah. to move around in and to live in. But the people who tend to, it seems to me, call into radio shows and you know. You know, the people that are represented in the Journal de Montréal or in like the Montreal Gazette, these tend to represent the suburban worldview. They usually are people who come into Montreal, uh, very, and they they are looking at it as drivers who find it annoying that it takes them longer to, that they to find parking. Yeah, well, I, that's I think one of the factors, like a suburban versus urban thing. There's uh, there's there's a bunch of sort of cultural and political and class divides at 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 play uh in this election and I, I it's the kind of stuff you expect to see the kind of stuff that you see elsewhere but it's really sort of put in sharp relief in this particular case because there is so much animosity towards Projet Montréal from certain sectors despite their excellent record um and it's really remarkable in that guy. I, I mean, if if you wanted to put like a, a job description of what like your ideal city mayor would be, like like no corruption, efficient, consults people, good delegator, good communicator, like the, the list goes on and on. Like Valerie Plante and Projet Montréal take off like all these check boxes. They're 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 not perfect, and we can we can talk about some of the issues with that. But but by and large, 
like textbook great political leadership. And then on top of that, you've got great social programs and great on the economy. Like how often does that come along? Right. Usually we're sort of expected, we're, we're sort of taught to expect in politics. Oh, well, you can, you can be good on the, the social stuff, but you're going to let the economy suffer or you can be good on the economy. So no, they've got, they've got both things. Um, no major scandals, no major corruption scandals, and not just, you know, from the four years of the Plant administration, but all their borough-like administrations before that. Did we ever you even know? imagine that this was going to be the case? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, how, we just, we just how expected often does that, this come yeah, along? We expected like, kind of low-level corruption was the best we could yes. ever hope for in Montreal. Yes. Yeah. Like, I never thought I would see a sort of Scandinavian government <laughs> here in Montreal, yeah, like it, honest, clean cleanest, government. The yeah. cleanest government that I have ever seen in like in the Canadian context and at any level of government. You know? Oh, really? I, I can't think of a better one. Can you? Um, that honestly has like a cleaner record? In, in, in Montreal, which has been historically really, really kind of corrupt municipal yeah, government. Yeah. It's We're kind setting of, the bar low. It's maybe. a joke. <laughs> the, the, the bar is really, really low. But the bar is low, but then they leapt way over the bar. Oh, like, yeah. you know, with room to spare, right? It's because like four years of not a single corruption scandal has got to be some kind of record in this city. It is definitely. I mean, <laughs> like for just for our listeners who don't know what we're talking about, like this is a city where <laughs> mayors are taken away in handcuffs. Okay. <laughs> like this is like, it is, you know, with bags of, you know, yeah, yeah. like really kind of sopranos. We have a reputation. Stuff. I mean, yeah, for your listeners who don't live in Montreal, but even the ones outside, Montreal, Quebec has a reputation for corruption. Yeah. It's it's part of like our Yeah, well, my, my wife is basically. from New Jersey, and from all Sopranos sudden, land. Yeah. Right? And, and she and, says it's the same thing as New Jersey. <laughs> until Proximoria. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And for, for that alone, like I, I would I would vote for them, you know? Because I, I think honestly, like clean government is is your basic foundational need for any kind of government. I could disagree with your ideology like but if you're if you're clean and uh, like I'll I'll support you. Yeah. Cuz um, that's so much of the but, what the job yeah, really yeah, yeah. is. But so going back to 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 the the animosity against her. You know, you speak to people who really dislike her and and the when you really try and nail them down on like what they dislike about it, it tends to it tends to be like little relatively small things that they really blow out of proportion or they don't like her style or they're like, oh, they don't like bicyclists and like these kinds of things. And ultimately, I think it's, it's, it's one, I think the fact that they've done so well and, and with so few mistakes actually pisses people off. I think that actually frustrates people, you know, kind of like it frustrated like people who opposed Obama, who was like, you know, Totally no drama, Obama. You know, and that that enraged some Republicans. You know that they couldn't nail him down on any of that. I, I think there's a similar thing at play here. And then I think there's there's a big like culture war on this. Um, um, Valerie Plant represents uh, change, uh, radical change, like a new vision for the future. And there are people who that is just outside of their comfort zone. Um, and that is what's actually being. Ref- reflected like that and that turns into animosity towards her yeah well an american friend pointed out something to me which had not occurred to me and i haven't really given it a great deal of thought maybe you could he said you know where i'm from he he lives in california he said it's baby boomers are still running everything Mm. and he said it's kind of amazing to me that you have a 1974 baby like like me and my wife like Valerie Plant is a 1974 baby like like me oh, yeah. you have a gen x person who's running a a city 
So uh-huh. it's like a woman who's Gen X running a city, which uh, he said that is very odd because generally speaking, uh, he said Gen X is like extremely underrepresented in mm. politics. It's like millennials. They skipped a generation. And, yeah, and yeah, yeah, baby yeah. boomers. <laughs> and then it's a particular, I don't know if that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that really means uh, anything. Don't worry, you guys, uh, we'll, we'll be the boomers one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, you know, and it, I think obviously gender plays some sort of a role in the animosity towards her. I, I, I didn't want to believe that, but I've just seen way too much evidence to the contrary. Like some people just can't stand her because... Uh, because you know, because she's a woman, I get that impression. Some of them, and I, I think for some people, there's she sort of reminds them, I don't know, of like their their mom or something. <laughs> no, they, they have like some issues with you know with somebody kind of like just who makes the trains run on time, but is you know reminding you of what you have to do. There, there's some weird hang up going on there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how else. Uh, Coder, who was quite, you know, quite incompetent and made a lot of mistakes when he was mayor, is now running on this. I mean, you know, we were talking about this on the walk up yeah, to yeah. the studio. His posters, it's like a big sort of big brother image of his face with like in big capital letters, competent. And, and then another <laughs> version was efficient. And it's like, what gall, like he... he I cannot think of a single, like, competent or efficient thing that he did during his administration. <laughs> it was just like a, a parade of fuck-ups. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, if I was trying to imagine if I was working at PR for him, I would, I would maybe say, like, you know, big, lovable teddy bear, uh, approachable. Like, uh-huh. I don't know. There, uh-huh. there's, there's ways that you could sort of market him that would, that would be on brand, that would fit, you know. But, yeah, marketing him is efficient. Oh, and it just is completely uh-huh. – anybody who actually is looking at, you know, the receipts is like, what are you even talking about? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You're, that's, that's, yeah. a, that's your opponent. That's not yeah. you. And, yeah, exactly. It's, it's <laughs> like, is that projecting? I'm not really sure. But yeah, I mean, Projet Montréal has demonstrated that, like, they are extremely competent in in delivering projects. Uh, you know, they they by and large, they 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 plan it out. They consult people. They get all people on board. They hear different points of view, and then they make it happen. Like generally, more or less on time and on budget, kind of thing. Uh, it's really remarkable. And it, uh, funnily enough, I think people like criticize it, uh, them for it, even because there's been an, a number of projects that have taken a while uh, for them to roll out. Um, and like, oh, why are you delaying? Why is it going so slow? Well, actually, no, that's a good thing. Like, that's actually what we want. They're taking their time to do it right uh, instead of what we've seen in the past, which is just sort of like improvisation, slapping things together, trying to get a minimum viable product on the shelves as soon as possible. No, they, they take their time with it. And this was the case with, like, what I think is their big showpiece uh, legislation that they brought in, which is the the 202020 law, as 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 it's called, which guarantees a, a, a certain amount of social housing and affordable housing, family housing in in new projects. It took them three years to 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 actually fully make this happen. It it only sort of went into effect um, uh, this past winter. Um, and people were like, oh, you took so long. Well, yeah, it was a really complicated piece of legislation. It is, it is a, a, a game-changing piece of legislation, super complex, all kinds of consultation, all kinds of things had to be done. They went back and forth on it to make sure that it was something that made sense and that worked. And the results of it are good. Um, and, and, and now we have 
what I think is 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 and I'm not the only one to say this, one of the most radical pieces of housing legislation in North America. Uh, you know, uh, activists in other cities are, are now looking to us and, and studying what we're doing, keeping an eye on what we doing to see, to see what happens. Uh, and yeah, I think it's great. And yeah, take a while to do it right. You know, that's fine. I support that. Take all the time you need. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you say to... To people, because I've heard this from a number of people that I, you know, that I respect and who will definitely vote Plaza Monreal anyway, but they seem to uh, worry that that uh, the party has a little bit of an authoritarian streak. Uh, do you? I mean, what do you like? What do you think about? I, I, I don't I think, see I think it. When, I don't when, see it. When but... people say that, what they're really saying is that they're doing things that they don't like. <laughs> no, that's it. That's it. And they're like, oh, they're being divisive. And it's like, well, look, we had, you know, decades of the other party in there, you know, and so maybe there during that time you felt like things were happy and, and unified and things like that. But the other half of the city disagreed with you, you know. So, look, now the shoe's on the other foot. And and uh, in practice, Projet Montréal consults more than anybody. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny because... Uh... In Ezra Klein's book, uh, Why We're Polarized, he has this very, very interesting thing. And he, I mean, he didn't come up with this. I think it's from Francis Fukuyama in his, he says that we increasingly don't live in a democracy. We live in a vetocracy. So like, you know, powerful interests can't necessarily push through their agenda, but they can stop you from pushing through yours. So they Mm. create a situation where nobody can really get anything done yeah. in, in multiple layers of government. Yeah. And I think, and he said, you know, it would, it would be much better, and he's writing about the American context. He said, it'd be much better if we had something more like what Canada, and he listed a number of other countries have, where you have elections, and then if a particular if one side wins, they get a couple of years to implement their agenda, their vision, and if voters like it, they can vote them back in. If they don't, they can kick them out of office and get the uh, you know somebody else in, and then yeah. they have a chance to implement their vision. Yeah. And that's uh, I my impression because when I've asked people to give me specific examples of what this authoritarian streak is, I never get any clear answers no. aside from like the Sue Montgomery and, and thing, so, you know? and sometimes like like misinformed answers, like oh they built the Saint Denis bike path without any consul- consultation. No, no, there was lots of consultation, and like a majority of business owners support it. So sorry, yeah. but <laughs> you're incorrect about that. Yeah, and and even like I, I gotta say, even the the business owners. Uh, thank you so much, Eric. He's just bringing us coffee. It's very kind. Uh, the business owners, I've, I've seen a number of business owners actually change their mind. Yeah, so yeah. There was, but uh, this is what always happens with yeah. these projects. This is, again, like they take big risks. They piss people off uh, like from the, at the start. Uh, but ultimately, the things work and people end up loving it. Yeah. Well, like this one ele- electronics store on the corner of uh, San Laurent Roy, they, I remember the owner was saying to me, well, they, it's a husband and wife, and he was saying, he said, I'm really worried because Pushing Monreal is like, like reducing the amount of parking spots and they're making it harder to find parking. And this is going to really hurt my business because people, you know, drive in from the suburbs and stuff like that to, to this neighborhood and they park and they go shopping. And if you make it harder for them to mm. park, they're going to just go to malls in the suburbs and stuff like Fine, that. Fine, go to malls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what, what ended up happening 
and and he was really worried about this. But so they made these changes. And actually what has happened is because the neighborhood is so much more livable now and more attractive for young families and things like that, more people with money, like middle-class people, yeah. rather than moving to Laval or to the suburbs, yeah. they're moving to the plateau to, and they're, yeah. they're buying. And, and so now they're walking to the corner to buy their stuff yeah. because it's, they're not going to the mall. They're not even ordering mm-hmm. it from Amazon. Mm-hmm. They're walking to the corner. So he said business has never been better. Yeah, yeah. And But he goes, I just didn't understand that the people driving to the store and parking on the street would re- be replaced by people walking to my store mm-hmm. and buying stuff and walking home with it. Yeah. In, and in my it turns out there's a lot of people with money now moving within walking distance of my store, yeah. which is cr- amazing. Yeah. Like, and, and if people do come from outside the neighborhood... They come not because there's convenient parking or cheaper prices. They come for the experience. Yes. You know, the experience of going to this nice place, which is a hell of a lot nicer than a suburban mall. Yeah. And he said, you know, it's funny because he said he has friends who have stores out in the suburbs. And they're actually getting really – they're getting killed by the fact that mm. if if you live in a big house in the suburbs, it's – it's often easier for you to just order it on Amazon and have it delivered to your place than yeah. to drive to the mall that's yeah. 10 minutes, 15 minutes away. People don't go to the mall for an experience anymore. Yeah, exactly. So it's not – they can just order it. So those – they're really suffering. Whereas yeah. if you decide, oh, I need a new toaster oven and – because your toaster oven breaks, you can think, okay, I can order it from Amazon and you know maybe I'll get it uh, you know like in two or three days, Amazon yeah. Prime – or I can walk to the end of my street yeah. and buy it and have it in 20 minutes. Yeah, exactly. You know, I can have it like immediately. Yeah, yeah, And yeah, so yeah. people, he goes, that gives us an edge mm. over mm. over Amazon that other people don't have. They, yeah, 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 If somebody, can, you know, it's the reason why Depths, which is, you know, for those of you who are not Quebecers, this is uh, for New Yorkers in New Jersey, this is a bodego <laughs> or other people. It's convenience a cor- store. convenience store, corner store. Uh, we call them dependents uh, here. But like Depths, Basically, their whole business model is we're going to overcharge you for butter and milk and things like or whatever for stuff yeah. uh, because we are right next to your house. We're at yeah, the yeah, corner yeah. of your street. We're super, super convenient. Mm-hmm. And so you'll pay a little bit of uh, extra for that convenience. Yeah. And they do well. <clears throat> it's a, totally. They, they do really, really well just based on that. So in, 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 my, in my neighborhood, there are now more shops than there were before the pandemic. And like, I, I believe that is a direct consequence of Projet Montréal's policies and that this, 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 this larger transformation that, that you're talking about, that like urban areas can either take advantage of by, you know, making these areas more people-friendly at the sacrifice of, of like car access, which is a sacrifice. Like, you know, you do get customers coming in from the suburbs, but that ultimately it's worth it. It's a net positive for these neighborhoods, and uh, I love it. It's it's my neighborhood has improved substantially. Oh, they, I mean, the whole city. Just you know, for our listeners don't understand this exactly. Like, I I grew up in a Montreal that was. I felt as if I had shown up to a party late and like all the, all the good <laughs> booze, ashtrays, all the booze, was, <laughs> good booze was like consumed. There was just like a bunch of shitty wine coolers yeah, in the yeah, fridge yeah. left. Decay, place was a decline. mess. It was, it was all boarded up street uh, stores and high unemployment rate, vacancy rate. Uh-huh. And I was always being told by, you know, by the, 
my my parents' generation, the older people, like all reliving the glory days of oh, we had Expo '67 here. We had all these amazing things. Like everything, this city used to be so booming yeah. and fantastic. And look how you left it. Yeah, <laughs> and so it, it was just this feeling as if. You had showed up to Rome like after it was declining and the aqueducts are falling apart and the roads are falling apart and everything's a mess and and it just felt and, and Montreal had this reputation right yeah and, and it still does in some quarters as like so dirty for, declining yeah. place it's not it's not true anymore I go to I go to Toronto once a year and I like since I was a kid you know. And I was, I would go to Toronto and be like the future city, you know? Those roles have reversed now. I don't know if you've noticed that, but it, like Toronto is like looking more decayed than Montreal is. Oh, yeah. Well, Stephen Marsh was in town uh, a couple weeks ago and uh, we met at Elsa's with a bunch of people who we were talking about it. And he, he was so completely in love. He was here with his family for the weekend. He was so in love. With the city, he was actually like flirting with the idea of like moving here. Oh yeah, he said this is so amazing. He <laughs> yeah, said this yeah. is so much better than I mean, Toronto. Meanwhile, Cadell's saying it's dirty. Like, where are you getting this from? <laughs> like, yeah, Montreal it, is not a dirty city. <laughs> but but it we is turned yeah. this place around. <laughs> for for me, for people my age and and younger, this is the best we've ever known Montreal yes. in our lifetime. Yeah, yeah. If you talk to like Hands my mom down. and like older, like your parents and stuff like that, you talk to them. They remember like really the glory. They remember glory like, days yeah, yeah, from yeah. the '60s and and uh-huh. the '50s and stuff uh-huh. like that. But I, you know, I was born in 1974. Like it was just all a total mess yes. when I was growing up. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really, really even happy. downtown. Like even downtown was, was oh downtown. Like, was when I was a, a teenager, too. it was it, it was, was a wasteland. It like. was, and there was always, and you know, the Teatro Marial where I'm living now was just. It was a complete mess. It was falling apart. All the apartments were filled with like rats and mice and cockroaches, and there was, mm-hmm. you know, it was a real mess, right? And yeah, so yeah. it's 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 getting so much better. Yeah. And all these changes are being made that are so positive, and I'm so excited. You know that my my sons are and their their friends are getting this like exciting new Montreal, mm-hmm. and I just feel like we're in a golden if, age. Yeah, and I feel like if Coder gets uh, gets elected. That it's just gonna set us back oh. a bunch of years, and and what's most annoying about it is that I'm sure that it, it, if he does get reelected, it'll just be like one term, and then everything's gonna have to be redone. Yeah, and and then we're gonna be behind. Yeah, right. Like rather than like moving in the right direction on all of these issues, we're just. I mean, this, you know, like the the fact that he's going to go and repave pine avenue like if you just people know like they they have all dump trucks and they have like they're just you know ripping up everything uh Mm. making this beautiful park they're gonna plant like big trees in it it's gonna be absolutely gorgeous and he's literally going to come like the bad guy in some sort of environmentalist like i don't know like parable he's going to come in like you know what's that song like you know uh like put Pave up a paradise, parking lot, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, like yeah. it's it's Joni like the so it's exactly like okay, we're going to like take this great idea and no, we will pave it over, you know. And, <laughs> and we have with you know, you mentioned that giant park, and one of the things that's amazing about that that park is that what makes it a model, not just because it's it's going to be an amazing park, it's also that that never should have been houses ever. Uh-huh. Right, like when my grandparents uh, moved here from Manchester, from England in the nineteen in the nineteen fifties, they yeah. lived out on the West Island, and there was uh, they had had big 
floods, periodic, you know, floods every once in mm-hmm. a while in the springtime, which had flooded areas like in Pierrefonds and like on the on the, those areas that are low, that had been marshes and swamps and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so they passed zoning laws saying you're not allowed to build anything there because it floods from time to time. Yeah. Well, then, you know, when you had the post-World War II kind of boom of, like, population and, and they needed to expand and they were building suburbs like crazy, then through various, it looks like a combination of corruption and, I don't know, arm twisting, they said, oh, come on, come on, come on, can you just change yeah, those laws? Uncontrolled sprawl and car yeah. culture and all all power to the developers. Yeah, and so they, they built on areas that they knew from the historical record that these areas flood every 20 years, every 40 years, whatever. One, It's not every year or even, but every once in a while you get a really like fast spring thaw with like heavy snows and yeah, yeah. like you get uh, this overflows and these areas flood. So those areas that they're turning into this giant park, those are areas that never should have been developed like in the first place. There were, And that's that's a problem that we have like all over the world where you have – you know, people building houses in places that flood or that have fires from time to time. And so we need to get out of all of those yeah, areas. Yeah. And they're doing that, which is just amazing. They and they're doing something about what I, I think is one of the biggest issues facing this city uh, and, and one that really deserves more attention is is the problem of uh, suburban sprawl in Montreal. Um, paradoxically, even though Montreal has relatively good mass transit by North American standards, we are one of the most sprawled out cities in the world, even by North American standards. Uh, huge, huge sprawl. Uh, a statistic that that I like to bring up is is in the Greater Montreal region, the 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 metropolitan region of Montreal. There are more people living outside of the city proper than there are in it. Wow! Massive suburban sprawl, and uh, it's 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 policies like this that that are going to make a difference. You know that that you ha- you have to put a stop to this and big parks like that in in suburban areas is is one way to go about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of the suburban, I didn't know that it was the most sprawled out city. Because I would have thought it, uh, it is one of the most sprawled out cities. But, but it's like if you if you if you if you like look at like a satellite image of the same scale compared to other cities. Like Montreal is huge. You can you can fit like the Paris multi- metropolitan region like several times over into Montreal. But again, even even by even by uh, like, like we we are per capita more sprawled out than Toronto. I had no idea. I that, yeah. see that I was just going to bring up that example because I know Toronto. Maybe it's just because of where the airport is, but Toronto. I remember uh, Annalisa pointed this out to me like one time when we were going. We were going to a wedding in Toronto, and she said, "Isn't it amazing how when you're flying into Toronto, you're flying over the city." For a long time before you get to the airport, yeah, <laughs> like you're like, oh my god, like yeah. it's it just goes yeah. on and on and, and on. And people wonder why there's like traffic problems in the city. Well, it's like because there's fucking people commuting in from the eastern townships. That's why. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny. My my cousin did uh, did a degree in transportation, and he worked for Transportation Canada for a while. And he was explaining to me like why we have like a lot of transportation problems. And traffic, he said, well, you know, the the system was set up, it was premised on the idea that people were all going to live on the periphery in the suburbs. Mm. And in the morning, they'd 
drive into the city to work or school or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then in the evening, they would drive back out to the suburbs where yes. they sleep. And that that would be the traffic flow. Yeah, but yeah. but as it turned out, it it's doesn't... a terrible idea. It, well, <laughs> it, it seemed like a good idea at the time. But as it turns out, uh, tons of businesses moved out to the suburbs for cheaper taxes, cheaper mm-hmm. land, cheaper yeah. rents, cheaper whatever. So the most common daily commute in the Montreal area is not from a suburb to the city center and then city center back to the suburb. It's from one suburb to another. Mm. So the most common, uh, you know, kind of route looks sort of like somebody living in Longueuil, like commuting to Laval to their (laughs) job or somebody from the West Island, like commuting, you know, out to, out to like Laval or out to like, and so you're going Completely, and that just creates all of these problems. Uh-huh. These. But you're talking about this as in as 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 like it was something people believed in the past. Unfortunately, like today, there's a lot of people who still believe that, and that includes people like Kadar. It includes our our provincial transport ministry, who has a huge impact on on these issues. Uh, and and so it is it is still de l'actualité. Yeah. What do you think about the idea of Montreal? Uh, kind of collecting its own taxes the way New York City does and the way, you know, because uh, there is this movement. I mean, the most extreme version is for Montreal to become an independent city-state. I mean, mm. that that's sort of a very extreme version. But there are more kind of milder versions where the Montreal gets more kind of financial c- control over things. Because right now we have this situation which is just untenable. It's happening all over the world. It's not a Montreal thing. Yeah. Toronto has the same dysfunctional relationship with Ontario that we have with Quebec. New York City has the same dysfunctional relationship with New York State. It, I mean, it's all over the place. LA with California. Yeah. It's so. It, but it's, it's quite stark in Quebec because Montreal pays... Montreal keeps the lights on for Quebec. We pay the vast majority of the taxes Uh in Quebec. We are the economic engine Mm -hmm. of this province. We we pay all the bills, basically. But the way the system is set up is our money goes to to the federal government and to the provincial government, and then our mayor has to go hat in hand and, please, can I have some money for these... So our mayor has to go and, like, beg for money that we gave them. Yeah. And it's just infuriating. <laughs> and then they act like, oh, maybe, yeah, you know, yeah. and they... And I, I'm sure like metropolitan, like big metropolises around North America have similar dynamics, but I think it's particularly the case in Montreal and, and in Quebec. And it's like, honestly, like diversifying municipal revenues is like the holy grail of issues. It is it is really important because we, we depend way too much on uh, property taxes, which which leads to... All kinds of problems. I could I could talk for an hour just on that issue. Um, so it's something people are constantly trying to go after. Coder tried to do it with a sympathetic provincial government. Uh, it was the Liberals in power at the time, uh, and he failed. Uh, now we have a provincial government who has very little interest in what Montrealers think about it, and so uh, like it's just not in the cards. Yeah. Yes, it is like my answer. <laughs> yes, it is super important. Yes, we should be diversifying uh, uh, municipal revenues. Uh, but like, man, I've because yeah, my I mean I've been on this hobby horse for a long time yeah, now. Yeah, but yeah. I I really 
what I would like to see is my income taxes that I pay every year, rather than it being split in two, where half goes to provincial government, half yeah. goes to federal government, I would instead like my income taxes to be split in, in three, mm. and one-third goes to Ottawa, one-third goes to Quebec City, and one-third goes to City Hall in Montreal. And that way, if if they did that, then suddenly our municipal government, because municipal governments now, I mean, when we set up our system of government in the 19th century, a, a small percentage of the population lived in urban areas. Almost everybody was rural. They lived on farms. They lived in small towns. It was, it was a completely different, like the demographics are just unrecognizable. Yeah, yeah. And now city governments increasingly are being given all these things that they have to take care of. They have to take care of all these social problems, you know, homelessness. They have to, they're even being asked to do things like anti-terrorism stuff now. I mean, it's just crazy. Like they have like more and more, they have to deal with immigration stuff. Mm -hmm. They have to deal with, um, you know, kind of helping new, new immigrants to Montreal kind of integrate and things like that. So they have all of these jobs that used to be things that the federal government or the provincial government took care of. But, they don't have the money to do it, right? And they have yeah. to maintain all of the infrastructure. Yeah, and they have to go hat in hand to the higher levels and, and demand this stuff, which which is, in, in the case of both parties in this election, and this is typical for Montreal, a lot of their promises depend on the goodwill of higher levels of government. Yeah, well, I, I saw just when, when Tristan was in flight school and he was, you know, doing trainings in different parts of like rural Quebec. And so we were traveling around like quite a bit. And I remember just being kind of, kind of really jealous and slash infuriated that I would go to like these small towns, like in Chicoutimi and in all these different parts of like Ibitibi and all around Quebec. And the streets are all brand new, freshly paved. <laughs> the, like the schools look amazing. They're like gleaming, and I'm like, yeah, okay. but I mean, they've also got all kinds of other problems. Like. I know, but but you could tell, like, okay, that's that's Montreal yeah, yeah. taxpayer yeah, yeah. money that's like it is. making all it this. Is. And meanwhile, Montreal is falling yeah. apart, and we we have to beg to get money to fix our like I mean, sewer system. What I would you know? like to at least see is greater greater like accountability for how this money is spent. You know, like I said before, you know, it's it's not politically in the cards to actually get diversified tax revenues. Well, well, then if it's not politically in the cards, then we have to create the political conditions for it to happen. And I think one way to create those political conditions would be more accountability, more transparency in how our, our tax money is spent. You know, it would be amazing to be able to to go to a single website and see a simple report on like, this is how much money Montrealers contributed to the Quebec economy this year, you know? That, mm-hmm. that would be a good place to start. I would love to see something like that. <laughs> I mean, we haven't we haven't talked about the uh, the election campaign uh, because I just think it's been such a complete uh, uh, joke. Uh, I, I I mean, it's like it's 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 been like infuriating, but also really <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> so maybe maybe we could talk about like the fascinating first. How, uh-huh. how have you found it fascinating? I, I well, I it's neck you, and neck. It's yes, neck and neck. Like yeah. two successive polls have put them like statistically tied. Uh, and this represent a big comeback for for Valérie Plante, who in a poll like some months ago was like fifteen points behind. Uh, so huge come comeback. Uh, Plante's got the the wind in her sails. Um, Coderre's campaign has just been a 
gong show of like <laughs> scandals and fuck ups and like improvisation and promising something and then changing his mind and like and the like alleged new Kodai, which is actually worse than the old Kodai. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And 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 then and then you have this uh, third party candidate, uh, Balarama Holness, who has run one of the most bizarre campaigns. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, Should yeah. I give some context on that? Yes, like, please I've, do. Okay, please I've, do. Uh, so to to make a, a long story short, uh, Balarama Holness is, uh, I guess you could uh, call him a, a, a social justice uh, campaigner, uh, big on uh, like Black Lives Matter, uh, defunding the police issues, stuff like that. Somebody who's been known as an activist for some time. Uh, uh decides to throw his hat in the ring as kind of to the left of Projet Montréal on like um, issues of, I I think, uh, kind of more social justice issues. Uh, So he comes, comes in as a third party, uh, and uh, like at first, I'm like, you know, what? I, I'm I'm happy about this. I'm happy there's somebody to the left of Projet Montréal who will force them to go further to the left. I like that. Um, but then his campaign just like totally goes off the rails. <laughs> 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 they they first, so the first thing to do is it, is is they promise that they're going to declare Montreal to be a bilingual city, which like. Ah uh, man, I don't know how deep we should go into this, but that is just like political, dropping a bomb. It's like. a third. It's a third rail. You don't touch it. You don't touch it. It's like it's, uh-huh. it's a non-starter, and yeah. that's why you know when I, when I heard that, that's why I was telling you in the walk up. I I just I when I saw that, I thought, okay, you're not in it to win it. Like this is some sort of uh, I don't know, like a like a PR thing, like where you where you run for a particular office because you you want to sort of raise your profile and get get kind of name brand recognition you yeah. know but you're not you're not in any kind of you know the way they say i i don't know how true it is but a lot of people say donald trump was really just running for president to raise his his brand and then uh-huh. he was hoping to turn the campaign and spin it off into a media into a tv show do something yeah. you know like Which but then did. he like accidentally <laughs> won and he was like oh man he's like the, the, the <laughs> dog the this? dog that the dog yeah, that yeah, caught yeah. the bus you know uh-huh. it's like well, what do you do with it now right yeah but, but so but so he so he so he so he's known for these two things the the bilingual city thing and uh defunding the police uh okay great uh then so there is a fourth party Ralliement pour Montréal. They are like uh, right wing, uh, sort of Quebecois nationalist, like hard on like language issues from the Quebecois nationalist perspective. They're like anti woke, anti social justice, and they decide to make an alliance. Like these two parties that have like directly contradictory policies with each other decide to merge with each other in the most least likely political union I've ever heard of since like the Molotov Ribbentrop Pact. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is the quote of the day right there. Yeah. I didn't even know. I didn't even know what to make sense of that. I mean, but, but it seems like, but then of course it falls apart. Like after a few weeks and candidates from both parties drop off, like the, 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 the guy from the right wing party, like leaves in disgust. Uh, and then, like just a couple of days after that, there's this big revelation that the orga- the nonprofit organization, which uh, Holness uh, is 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 runs and has run for years, uh, last year, like the whole board of directors quit in protest over his like poor leadership and and all kinds of problems, toxic work environment, etc. Um, which 
uh, was kind of a stunning revelation, but it also like confirms a lot of other rumors that have been circulating or reinforces a lot of other rumors that have been circulating about Holness. He's like difficult to work with. He's like a one man show, this kind of thing. So uh, his, his, his campaign has just been a gong show. However, he still has some traction, uh, oddly enough now with like angry phones. Like like Anglophones who are like tough on language and want to make Montreal a bilingual city. Like so so this like social justice campaigner is now like one of the big things he's going after is the like reactionary Anglophone market. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that is a, a a very aging market. There's you know a lot of them are are pretty you know long in the tooth. They're like they're kind of they're older. You can tell it if you go to like certain kind of CJAD type like kind of events and gazette events like you see the people there are all like they're all in their 70s and 80s and stuff like that and they're they're fighting like old old wars and they don't really yeah. like there's a completely new Montreal. Like I know like the Montreal that my my sons are 18 and 19 like the the Montreal they live in and their friends live in is is unrecognizable to those people. Yeah, yeah. For them, yeah. The language is not an issue at all. Their yeah. their friends are mostly like a lot of the friends are trilingual or like they speak three like English and French. It's just it seems like bell bottoms to there, them. There was it an seems article very old timey uh, and like kind of like like a yeah, I don't know a, re- a retro night or it's something. Totally outside of their experience. And then there was an article in Cult Montreal uh, just yesterday, which I, I think summarized this up uh, about Cadell saying the city is dirty, it's not safe, blah, blah, blah. and and they said some line to the effect of like, well, people who actually live in the city don't see that, and they actually like the way things are going. So what are you talking about? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I really wish, I know this is like, you're not, you're not supposed to say this, but I remember once I was, uh, I was teaching a class at, uh, at Concordia and somehow in the class discussion in the class, uh, we got onto the subject of, um, language politics and separatism and things like that. And there were people who kind of heated in the classroom and stuff like that. And they were on different camps. And at a certain point I, I asked a question. And it's a very sort of Saul Alinsky kind of rules for radicals type question. I asked them, I said, of those of you who are really unhappy with the situation in Quebec and in Montreal and, you know, the language stuff and various other things, like how many of you plan on like living here after you graduate? Right. And practically none of them put their hands up. Mm. I said, so you are all, uh, planning on moving away from Montreal after you graduate? Mm. And they said, uh, yes. I said, well, then what you're saying doesn't matter. Like, if you're not going to stay here, like, it doesn't really, like, I think, I guess my point is, and it's it's a point nobody wants to make, but I, when I bring this up in privately, people are always like, yeah, yeah, that's actually, is it, a lot of the people who are talking, voicing very loud opinions on what Montreal should do about bike paths, about parking, about all these different things. They either don't live in Montreal mm. or they're planning on leaving first chance they get. Yeah. So the question for me as somebody who's put down, who's from here, who's put down roots here, who plans on living here, you know, for the rest of my life, who has children here, who has like a whole life here is I, I feel like Montrealers should be making decisions for Montreal. Like, you know, like what a crazy our, idea. Yeah, we should actually be making decisions for ourselves and we shouldn't be having our cities 
all of our, our systems sort of decided by people in Quebec yeah. City and our, our neighborhoods, Laval, our neighborhoods in... should not be just like transit points for commuters. Yeah. The neighborhoods should be for the people who live in those neighborhoods. Yeah, I, I love it. I love it that my students come. I, I find it kind of really charming that my students in the suburbs of the West Island come to my neighborhood to party. They come to my neighborhood to go to clubs and bars that, you uh-huh. know, that I will never go in. It's the, that's for them, you know. But like they, you know, I love it that people come to the festivals and the jazz fest in my neighborhood. I love that. But people actually live here, right? We're not just like a place that you come and you 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 party and then you you puke on the sidewalk and then you go back to your suburb or you go like like people actually live here like my yeah. kids have to walk around your puke in the morning on the way to <laughs> school you know like so it's you know you, there is this this idea that we we should actually be masters in our own house we should be running mm-hmm. making decisions and mm-hmm. that's one of the things i really really love about the the overall kind of tenor of Projet Montreal and you know plants like leadership is that it just feels like it's things that are put in place for the people who actually live here, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. rather than, and I, you know, I, I can't believe I'm quoting Stephen Harper, <laughs> but, uh, but Stephen Harper in his, um, in his book that came out where he talked about, uh, it's kind of a mea culpa, his last book right here, right now, where he talks about, you know, what has gone wrong with conservatism and what are the mistakes that that he made as prime minister, and that in general he thinks, and that, which he continues to make. Yeah, well, we're leaving that alone. Uh, but he he says, you know, the the mistakes that the right has made, uh, and conservative leaders like himself have made. And he said, you know, we he goes, our big mistake was we really, really drank the libertarian Kool Aid. Mm. And he said, like li- he said, libertarian is is for the right right now an albatross around their neck in the same way that uh, Marxism was for the left, you know, uh, half a century ago, mm-hmm. that it was this, that the legacy of, you know, Stalin and all these comments was, a, was something that really kind of like put a stank on all of their policies and <clears throat> all their ideas. And he said, we, he goes, and he says, you know, I completely bought into it too. This idea that just free markets and globalization and opening and like taking down all barriers. He goes, thing is, it's like, that actually hurt a lot of our people. That's his language. He goes, because the fact is, is like a lot of people that vote for us and support us, they don't want to just move to a new place because they got a better job or they got a better opportunity. They're not, they're, they're not like anywheres. They're somewheres. They're people that have a rooted, like rootedness in a particular place and they want to stay there. And so if you just like let the, you know, kind of the economy, these forces sort of, kind of very, very rapidly kind of like change things and kind of they lose all their jobs and they lose and they don't want to move around all the time. And so this benefits basically a very highly educated urban elite that uh, has no allegiance to any country or any city or any place. They can live anywhere. They travel a lot. They're always around and like, and, you know, that is, if you're going to make all of your policies geared towards serving their interests it's a losing game because they have no loyalty to you. They have no loyalty to anybody. They'll move to New Zealand next week if they feel like you're going to raise their taxes or you're going to yeah. use something. Whereas, uh-huh. like, here, there's people that actually 
uh, you know, and, and I, I've always said like for a city to be like a real city in the sense that, that like a Nicola Machiavelli could say, you know, I love my native city more than my own soul. And he was mm. not joking when he said mm. that about Florence, like for a city to be a real city, I think you have to have a critical number of people in that city who can't imagine living anywhere else. You uh-huh. go to Paris, you mm. meet Parisians who just think it's the center of the universe. <laughs> they would never live anywhere else. They don't understand why anybody yeah. would ever want well, to live pretty anywhere great. else. Right? New, <laughs> yeah. York's, New Yorkers, same thing. Uh, but then find... you meet people from certain cities who, like, they just talk shit about their city all the time. You like, know? Tor- like Toronto. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. example. Yeah, for instance. <laughs> I didn't want to pick on Toronto. But, much, but, but Montreal again. has has a but core Montreal, group of people yeah, yeah, who are just hardcore Montrealers. Montreal, who yeah. love it. And, and, and it's weird like people who oppose plant like they kind of love what montreal used to be i think like when they were kids or something or but 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 it doesn't feel like they have a lot of love actually for montreal it feels they have a lot of cynicism for montreal regardless of who's in charge yeah well i find it very telling that all of the hardcore montreal lovers that i know who love the montreal that that we actually live in now they all love Projet Montréal uh-huh. and Valley Plan, and and it's yeah. they the, the people who want to actually yeah. l- make that, a life that goes here, across all demographics. Yeah, yeah, and that that is very telling to me. Yeah. I mean, that says that they're actually, you know, despite you know some missteps and some like you know trying to figure things out, they are representing the division and the interests of people who actually want to not just party here or yeah. visit here or come to a festival here, mm-hmm. uh, but the people who actually want to live here yeah. and make a life here. Or, or the special interests and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's what, I, I mean, it's such a clear choice in this election, you know? It's it's like, you, you, you want to vote for like a people-centric vision of Montreal? Or do you want to vote for real estate developers? You know? And that's what that's what it comes down to, I think, in a lot of municipal politics. You find this anywhere. That 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 it's a struggle over real estate. It's a struggle between the interests of real estate developers and everybody else, basically. And that's what we have in Montreal. And 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 basically, a vote for Kader is a vote to, you know, let the real estate developers do whatever the hell they want. And yeah. we've seen what that causes, you know. And it would be a tragedy to go back to that. Yeah, and and also there's the added issue. I mean, we don't have we don't have the time to like go into this too much, but there's the added issue that if you do let the real estate developers have free reign at the moment. Mm. Uh, you have the added problem that there's all sorts of economic instability in the global system right now. So there's a lot of, for instance, there's a massive Chinese middle class, uh, about it's like 200, 250 million people, depending upon how uh-huh. you like. And that's, they have a lot of savings. And they're they do, but looking, let's, not, let's not pick on the Chinese. That that's speculative real estate money comes from a lot of places. It does. It does. It primarily comes from from China, but there's. It's going to I, only I increase. I don't know. It does. I, I, oh, I've. It's a debate for I've another friend, time. Yeah, but I, I, don't, I, 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 I would want to see the the numbers on that. The, <laughs> I would be surprised. The, my if my issue with it is that if you are going to, it's never been like a worse time to let real estate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To let them kind in of in a like, real estate bubble. Yeah, like come on, this is this is like you really exactly want exactly the sure. time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like 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 twenty thirty years ago, like I can understand. You know, we we needed to like get some money into the city. We needed to like jumpstart things again. But now things are going good. You know, 
and and there's there's plenty of condos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, now we have to 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 put more focus, more energy into making sure that we do smart development. Yeah. So how do you understand? Because this is the buzzword that goes around, and what do you understand smart development to be? Development that is people centered. Okay. You know, centered on the needs of people and, and people of, of all class backgrounds and all demographic backgrounds, making the, you know, what's called the 15 minute city, where, you know, in an ideal sense, you've got everything 15 minutes uh, uh, away from where you live, where, you know, young families are not forced to go out into the distant suburbs to have a decent place to live. Um, for me, that's smart development. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I think about it too. And I, I also think, you know, the way that Project sort of goes and looks at what are the needs of people like, okay, do we need more two-bedroom, three-bedroom places? Do we need uh, more places with this? No no housing crisis has ever been solved by building more luxury condos. Exactly, yeah. Because, I mean, you say, like, very often when I've spoken to, to people from the Codell team, I say, like, well... They'll say, well, you know, we're in a housing crunch and we need more. And I said, well, are you planning on building more like homes for families and yeah. things like that? And they're yeah, like, yeah. Uh, well, no, no. Uh-huh. And it turns out they're building luxury condo towers. And the thing is, it's like we we don't need more of those. No. We have a lot of those. In fact, we yeah. have a lot of them that are like half <clears throat> half empty mm-hmm. or you know, like a third empty and stuff like we, that. We need we – need- like, I mean, we need social housing, but we, we also like really need housing for the middle class. You know, and 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 Project Montreal has been all about that, and they've got great plans and proposals for how they're going to make that happen in their second mandate. Um, the 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 first mandate, uh, you know, they they promised twelve thousand uh, social and affordable. In the second mandate, they're they're proposing sixty thousand, uh, which is a big jump. People are asking, well, how is that going to be even possible? Well, the reason it's going to be possible is because they gave themselves the tools to make it happen in their first mandate. They really beefed up the the like uh, the the housing uh, authority, the bureaucracy in Montreal. Uh, they've brought in new rules which allow them to acquire land more easily. That open up all kinds of new funding uh, possibilities, uh, and and now they are all geared up to 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 just go all out. On, on that kind of housing, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, so am like, I. So if you uh, if you are a Montrealer, go out and vote. Uh, yes, vote. <laughs> yeah. Vote. Go out and vote. Um, Don't and, let the real estate developers win. Yeah, and, and <laughs> even if you you know even if you are not if you, even if you are not into Prochimoya, vote anyway. Everybody move should to vote. Montreal. <laughs> move to Montreal. Everybody should vote. It's great here. Uh, and uh, yeah, we've got an amazing city. And thank you so much, Paul. It's been so much fun. Yeah. And uh, let's uh, let's let's hope everything works out the way we want. Well, we got to make it happen. Yeah, we got to make it happen. All right. Thank you very much. Bye for now.